0: Sometimes I think it's kind of awkward or weird for someone to come into a church service and they just dive right into a passage of scripture and somebody that might be new to Christianity or new to the church are thinking, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? What is this story about? And it doesn't sound very uh, connected to to my life and my world. I I hope to answer that concern. But one of the ways I can begin is by just trying to give some some context to what's going on here. Um... The Bible has mistakenly been thought of by many people as the story of the Jewish people. It's not. It's the story of God. And God uses all kinds of people. And there's a time period where the, the Jews had a very specific particular role and we're, we're reading that. Uh, and obviously they have a continuing role, but it's because God chose them. It's not because they were unique or special It's not because they had done something wonderful and admirable. As a matter of fact, the more you read about them, they go, well, they're about messed up as we are. They're about as inconsistent and sometimes ungrateful as we often are. So it doesn't take long for us to figure out that the Bible is a book about God and his dealings with people and that he's very uh, holy and just, but he's also very merciful and compassionate. Or We wouldn't be sitting here. And so it's kind of a little, and we're diving in And what we call the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is everything leading up to the coming of Jesus. And so everything in the Old Testament was um, presenting God's remedy for sin. the Bible opens up and within three chapters we're in a mess. And that mess, the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden and the rest of the Bible is telling how God redemptively is writing a story about how great He is. And that His Son Jesus Christ has been given the lead role. So we keep that in mind. And I'll point that out a little bit later as to why that's important. But early on, there was a, a man named Abraham and God chose him. Again, he wasn't anything special. We see some of his flaws as we read through the Bible. And then Abraham was told that, I'm going to use you and your family line. so he became known, God became known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God of Israel. And then... So he told Abraham, he says, hey, for 400 years, in about 400 years, um, I'm, well, he first said, I'm going to give you this land where, where they were, the land of Canaan. And then he said, but about 400 years later is when your family, you won't ever actually receive the benefit of this promise. You won't, you won't see this land uh, coming in, um, into nationhood or statehood. But about 400 years, give or take some, 400, 430, there's two different renderings of that date. It doesn't really matter because it depends on which starting period you're looking at or where that extra 30 years is. Don't get worried about that. It's about a 400-year period. And he said that um, toward the end of that period, I'm going to do something, and then I'm going to move you, I'm going to send you down to Egypt, and while you're there, I'm going to turn these 70 people into a great nation and then you're going to be ready to come back as a nation and take the land that I've designated for you because I want my name known on all the earth it's not like because I want everyone to know who you Jews are it's like no I want everyone to know who I am and so that's really what God is doing that's what God's doing right now God wants everyone to know who he is and that's why we read this wonderful account of how God did this in in the history of the Bible so, the first two chapters of Genesis, of Exodus, was we're getting close to the end of that 400 year period. And when Exodus 1 opens up, um, a baby plays a significant role, a very um, unexpected or surprising baby story. In the Bible, like this baby was going to be killed, but it's rescued. And this baby was chosen by God to become a savior for the people of Israel. Does that sound familiar? So there's a lot of, um, a lot of foreshadowing. Moses is a, a type of Christ. It's like a reminder. It's like, hey, someone greater is going to come one day. Another baby is going to be even more important than Moses. And so it's like, oh, a lesson. Oh, there's God's teaching a lesson. And so God brings this baby and the baby tries to take things into his own hands. When he's about 40, he grows up in Egyptian royalty. And then God says, no, no, that's your plan, not mine. So he spends 40 years out in the wilderness preparing for the way of the Lord. Does that sound like somebody? The Bible says John the Baptist went out into the wilderness to prepare for the way of the Lord, prepare for the coming of Jesus. So there's all kinds of beautiful symbolism In the Bible, lessons or lessons to learn along the way. And now Moses has been out in the wilderness for 40 years. And so that's the first 40 years. Um, Nothing really seemed to be happening. For another 40 years, nothing really seems to be happening. It's like he has no idea what role he's going to play. He feels like a failure probably. It's like, man, I had this shot when I was in the royal family. And I could have done some good for God and his purposes And next thing you know, he's running for his life and he spends 40 years as a nobody. Nobody remembers him, nobody's thinking about him. He is a long ways from the center of what God's doing really is back in Egypt, and he's way over in Midian, long ways from where you would think God was doing anything. And that's the way you ever felt that way? You ever felt like maybe you weren't at the center where God was working and you felt like, man, I'm abandoned, I'm a nobody, I have no purpose. And maybe God was going to do something when you were in this wilderness that had everything to do with God. Instead of being forsaken by God, Moses discovers that he had actually been led by God out to this place to be um, developed and to mature and to be trained, really, to be equipped to, be, to take his role. So at the end of that period, like 80 years is gone. And I don't know if you know this, um, the first two chapters covers about 80 years. Um, Like the time Moses was born, just a little bit said about that. And then Moses' um, seeming role as an Egyptian, powerful Egyptian, so 80 years in the first chapter and a half, basically. And then, I don't know if you realize this, some people don't realize the whole rest of the book of Exodus is really about a year. Everything we're reading, we're covering about a year period. When we study through Exodus, the wilderness wanderings haven't started yet. That's after. That's, that's going to come a little bit later. Right now, we're basically, we're going to go from chapter 5 to chapter 40. And all we're going to do is go from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And that's about how far we get in God's plan. But it's a lot of chapters. And a lot of, God thought this stuff's pretty important because we have a lot of information about that one year period. It's pretty interesting. There's not many periods in all of redemptive history where a single year gets that much press. So it must have been important. Okay, so now we're at chapter 5. And I want to just, I'm going to give you three words here in a little bit, but I just want to give you a, 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 a glance. So Moses has been called by God at the burning bush. And he has an assignment from God. And it's like, you need to go tell Pharaoh... To let my people go. It's very interesting because Pharaoh thinks they're his people. And Pharaoh's like, they're my people. They're my slaves. And God says, no, they're my people. So we have a conflict. (laughs) Who do these people belong to? Maybe you have a conflict. Who do you belong to? I belong to me. It's my body. Or, man, I, I belong to God. God gave me life. And we have that same care. Okay, we have a little Pharaoh complex going on in our own hearts. And we really ultimately belong to God no matter what we think. We may think, I'm mine. I can do what I want to. I'm the boss. I control my own destiny. And God says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm running the show. You're, you belong to me. And the sooner you realize that, the better your life's going to be. Or maybe you never realize it and you end up like Pharaoh. Pharaoh never agreed to that. He never he never humbled himself before God. Pharaoh always was like, I am Pharaoh. I'm the boss. And he died thinking he was the boss to find out that he was Pharaoh who was nobody really. Okay, so, um, so Moses said, I need you to go talk to Pharaoh who many believe that he probably was the most powerful man in the world at that time. There was only about three major empires in that time. And the Egyptian empire was massive. Um, So he goes to the Egyptian empire and says, let my people go. Or he says, God says, the God of Israel. And again, he thinks this is a joke. He said, I am the God of Israel. I am in charge of Israel. Who is this God of Israel? And that's what he says. He's like, Pharaoh responds to Moses and Aaron. These two men come up to him and say, two men who were part of his slave community come to him and says, hey, our, our God says, You better let us go. And Pharaoh responds, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? It's like God needs to obey me. Who am I that I should obey the voice of the Lord and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. It's like I'm in charge here. You came into my court. How dare you? And it says that Moses and Aaron... Continue to say, well, God says that we're supposed to go out and worship him for three days. Go out in the wilderness and worship him. And that describes their real true purpose is the worship of God. And that's what we're here for. And God wants us to worship him. It doesn't just mean to show up for corporate worship. It means that the entirety of our lives. God wants us to live for his glory. And until we do that, we're missing the picture. We're enslaved to someone else's master. That's someone else's plan. Someone else's plan is for you to serve yourself or to serve the government or to serve fame or to serve um, wealth or to serve comfort. That's someone else's plan for you. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is that you align with His purpose and His kingdom and serve the true and living God, the one who has the eternal plan, the one who is in control of everything, the one who can do good for you, the one who can rescue you, the one who can deliver you. That's God's plan. And Moses and Aaron say, we're supposed to line up with God's plan. And Moses said, well, Aaron, Pharaoh basically said, well, that's not my plan. And so let me show you what my plan is. You guys have been working for me. You're going to work harder. You know, we've been so kind. We've been so kind as your slave masters to provide straw for you so you could make bricks every day. Now we're not even going to give you straw you got so much time, you think you can wander out in the wilderness and worship your God? I am your God. And if you have enough time to think you can do that, how dare you come into my court and tell me to lessen the yoke? I'm going to tighten the yoke on you. You ever known that Satan does that to you? It's like, oh, Satan, let me just have a little bit of God. Let me just, you know, like, I just want a little bit. I just want to relax. He's like, I'm going to tighten the yoke on you. I'm going to drive you deeper into this bondage. Satan always wants to increase your bondage. God always wants to liberate you. Um, don't ever think Satan's going to, this is going to play out well if you choose some, someone other than the Lord as your, as your sovereign. Okay, so then the people, um, so he, he takes the straw away and then he says, well, you still need to produce the same number. They don't. They have trouble keeping up. And so he starts beating them. He comes and beats them. He whips them and punishes them. For not doing a very unreasonable thing. Aren't you glad God's not like that? Aren't you glad that God doesn't. His punishments are not unreasonable. They're just. And not on top of that. You don't even have to take. The just payment. Jesus will take it for you. He would step in. What Jesus took on the cross for us. That was the justice of God. That was fair. That was a fair punishment. That's what we deserve. And Jesus comes along and says. I'll take this for you. And then the question when he rises, he says, now, will you take me as your payment? He's like, no, I don't need no help. I got this. I just want what's coming. I don't want religion. Don't want God. Don't want anyone driving. I like to drive. Jesus, I'll take you in my car, but you need to be in the passenger seat or over there. And please be quiet. Just let me do my, it's just nice to know you're in here. That'll help me out. But I'm not letting you drive. And Jesus says, no deal. I only drive. I'm not a passenger. I'm not along for the ride for anybody. I am the sovereign king of the universe. And so you take me for who I am, or I'm not in your car with you, even though you may think I am. You might have a fish bumper sticker on back, but that don't mean Jesus is in there, okay? It just means you stuck a bumper sticker on there. It might be because you want to witness. It could be you think it's some hocus-pocus magic or something, but that ain't what makes it happen. And they were kind of confused, the Israelites were, and then they got upset. And they, um, and they go to Moses and they say, Moses, what have you done to us? Um, they, they are angry with Moses. Moses is coming to help them. It says, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you. Because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Like they're going to kill us. They're putting so much Wait on us. And they're, they start accusing Moses for doing his job. Moses did what God told him to. Do you know that sometimes when you do your job for God, some people are going to accuse you of being evil or mean-spirited or unkind do you know when you do what God says, there's going to be people come against you. And sometimes people get this ridiculous notion that if I just serve Jesus and I'm like Jesus, everyone will be kind to me and I'll just say nice things to people and everything will just be sweet. And the Christian life should just be nice and cozy. That's not at all the picture in the Bible. The Bible says that you will be persecuted for righteousness sake. The Bible says that if you do what God Um, tells you to do that yes you will receive many benefits and many blessings and you will make some of the most wonderful friendships but you'll also make enemies just because you're on God's side. And the people of God didn't even really recognize. The very people that Moses was going to help didn't accept their help because it wasn't working fast enough and it wasn't working out the way they wanted. And then it's kind of surprising Then Moses does the same thing. It's like the people come to Moses and says, what are you doing? This isn't turning out well. And then Moses does the exact same thing. It's like shocking. Then Moses goes to God and says, listen to what Moses then says to God. They accuse Moses and then Moses accuses God. Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Can you believe that? Does that sound like anybody you know? You ever do that to God? You ever in your prayer, like you're so angry at God because you don't like the way things are going and you actually, maybe you don't realize what you're doing, but you actually start accusing God. are like, what have I done to deserve this? How is this happening? That's not fair. And you literally start turning your accusations toward God. Do you, can I let you in on a little secret? When you complain about someone, do you know that you're really complaining to God? Can I, you're like, uh, can I tell a story that my wife did one time? When my wife was a little girl, her mom got on to her. Probably just once in her whole life, but her mom got on to her and she was in a family gathering and she did something her mom didn't like. And she was so mad, but she was smart enough to know, not to sass her mom. So she turned to her like 90 year old grandmother. She turned to her and goes, big ears. Like she wasn't about to smart off to her mom, so she turned to her grandmother and said something mean to her grandmother. It was over like the sweetest possible person to the other, but she was a little girl and she was so mad and she was smart enough to know I better not say that to God. I'm going to find the first person nearest to me and call him a name. And sometimes we think God doesn't understand that when we're complaining about everything, we're really griping to God because we don't like the way He's running the show. We're just not as bold as Moses. But the truth of the matter is our complaints are ultimately directed at God. Because we don't like the way he's running our lives. We deserve better than this. And that's kind of where that Pharaoh and Moses spirit, we we got to get that out of us. He says, why did you ever send me? It's like, God, I knew I shouldn't have gone on this mission in the first place. I gave you all kinds of objections early on. And look, it's not working. He's been there the equivalent of 10 minutes. He just showed up. It's like, God, I thought I was going to march in triumphantly and everything's going to line up and we're in and out and I'm going to be the hero and they're going to be shouting my name and I'm probably going to have a a few uh, resorts on the Red Sea named after me or something and everybody will be all excited. And he's like, Lord, um, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh and speak in your name, it's your name, God. I got in trouble when I started identifying with God. I got in trouble when I took your name. God's already told him in the earlier two chapters how powerful and eternal his name is. And he says, like, God, I, I tried that out and I, I got my hand slapped back. I thought your name was powerful, eternal, eternal. And that's the way some people say when they become a Christian. It's like, oh, I took your—I was baptized. I took the name of Christ to myself. I'm a, i am let my friends know I'm a Christian now. And it's like now they're mad at me and firing arrows because I won't go party with them or I won't go do this. And I'm feeling it. now it's like, Lord God, I, this isn't what I signed up for. I—I I signed up for you to save me and protect me from people saying stuff like that. And it's just like goes sideways. So Moses, let's just say he had a lot to learn. Okay, so then um, in chapter six, the Lord says to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. It's like, Moses, don't you get it? This is just a setup. It's just a setup for all I'm gonna do. This is like this is just entry. This is we just walked in the door for the show. You just sat down for the this is just the um, what do you call it before the movies? The yeah, those. Um, it's like, that's all that is. It's like, you just sat down. We haven't even started the show yet. God had so much more to do. And Moses was like, I'm out of here. It's like, we're just watching the previews. This is the thing where it says, go get your popcorn. And Moses was expecting the end of the movie to have already played already. Now he didn't like his role so far. But God says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand. He hadn't shown God. He hadn't shown his strong hand yet. He just shown a little simple little things. God wanted to show his strong hand. How about that? Do you know that God wants to show his strong hand today? He wants to show stuff. He wants to show the mighty hand of God. And he doesn't, it doesn't mean he's going to do it every minute of every day. It's like, why well, have you had your miracle today? Um, looks like they had to wait about 400 years for it. And then when the time came, they had to wait longer than they thought. It's like, yeah, we want our miracle every day. You you know, you can cut on the TV and you find these people selling stuff, these Christian snake oil, (laughs) and they're making you all these big promises. You're supposed to see this every day and this every day. And that's not the description of the Bible. Yes, we see great things of God, but in His sovereign timing, He gets to determine. And we're looking for it and asking for it because we believe in the strong and mighty hand of God. And we bow before Him, expecting God. But we also know that it must line up with His purposes. And therefore, we're surrendering, waiting upon our great God, ever asking Him, always pleading with Him, Lord God, do mighty things for Your great name. And that's what He wanted them to learn. That's what this book is about, this Bible. And then Moses spoke to Moses and says, I am the Lord. I I don't know. I'm pretty sure that Lane did it intentionally, but every time she read the word, I am, she emphasized, I am the Lord. I am said this. I am. I caught that as she was reading. She was emphasizing the name of God. And I didn't even ask her to do that. Um, She just did it knowing the text and the passage. And God spoke to Moses and says, I am the Lord and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob like God is aligning Moses with a purpose that began over 400 years older. And he's saying, be patient, Moses, settle down. I'm running the show. I'm in charge. You ever feel like, oh, the world, I don't know what the world's coming to. I don't know what's going to happen to us if so-and-so gets elected. We're like freaking out. And God says, I am. We're going, but I'm not. I am. I've been at this a long time from the very beginning. I know what I'm doing. My kingdom does not run on these little despots. It runs off of me. I'm the king. So just depending on which nation you're in, sometimes it's weird. Depending on where you live and what nation you're in has a lot to do with your eschatology. So weird. It's like, well, God must be coming. Things are bad here. Well, no, he's not. And so We have these little... Little binoculars on, we can't see hardly past our nose. And we want to judge the eternity, entirety of God's sovereign decrees based on what we're seeing taken in five minutes. And we have our our whole view of eternity based on our little moment on the stage. And God says, slow down and get my big picture. Get back in line. I am totally running this. And he said, I will. I have remembered my covenant. He aligns him with history. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So there's three words that I, I kind of think are helpful. Um, that I kind of summarize this. And I wrote them down on my... Dry erase board at home. Sometimes I write things out on my board as I'm thinking through them and I want to think about it and ponder it and I'm trying to formulate. Like, what can I give the people that they can walk out with? And there's three descriptions. I want to describe three different people to you um, and I want you, I want that to kind of summarize this whole message. So the first one I want you to think about is Pompous Pharaoh. Pompous Pharaoh. You know what it is to be pompous? Arrogant, prideful. It's about me. Self-centered. And we notice through the book of Exodus that God is confronting pompous Pharaoh. And my folks, when you're pompous Pharaoh, he's going to confront that in you. When you're arrogant and prideful. And it's especially harmful when you do that claiming to be a Christian. Christian pompousness or whatever, pomposity, I don't know what the right word is. When you're a pompous Christian, that's not supposed to, two words aren't supposed to go together. Arrogant. You ever been somewhere and person is Christian and arrogant? Are you, are you arrogant? Like, are you arrogant? You're like, I am, a, I am right and everybody else is wrong. Or someone just like they, when they stand up, it's like they, you can just tell they're just They're just slaying everybody, but somehow they aren't very humble. You know, one of the first signs when I listen to a preacher and I see arrogance, i they might have the most hot podcast in the world. And I've seen some mighty men fall. And early on, it didn't make me have much problem. I saw they were pompous. They were arrogant. And you know what my simple test was? They don't remind me much of Jesus. That's just it. I study the life of Jesus. Jesus was strong, and he had a strong hand. He was no pushover. He was not milk toast. He was strong. But he was also something about his. He was immovable. He wasn't. Um, he wasn't a victim. He wasn't all those things. He was strong, carrying out the will of his Father. And he was so strong emotionally that he didn't let other people's emotions dictate where he would go. Sometimes everyone was against him and he was the only one taking a stand on some things. He was strong, but he wasn't arrogant and pompous. As a matter of fact, he was so humble that no one had even the slightest clue that he was God. He veiled his glory. He could have... If anyone could have ever stood up and said, you just need to watch this. Um, if everyone, anyone had the right and the position to do that, he did. But he had a greater purpose that he was trying to fulfill. So, I thought of two examples of this, um, someone that acted pompous. And someone that, who um, surrendered that and humbled themselves. In Acts chapter 12, there's a picture. Uh, um, in Acts chapter 12... The disciples uh, in the early church were beginning to be persecuted, and James was killed. And um, then Herod uh, was arrogant it says, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on the throne and delivered an oration. He gave a big speech and the people were shouting the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. And that's ultimately what happens to all the proud. Eventually, all the proud are brought low before God and it costs you your life. Refusal to bow to God will cost you your life. And then we have another example in, in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar was very proud. And then before Nebuchadnezzar died, he he humbled himself before God. And I don't know anywhere in the scripture that definitely declares that he became a believer, but it seems like he did. I'll tell you this, I don't think this comes out of the mouth. This doesn't normally come out of the mouth of a great, a great mighty king, but it's in Daniel chapter 4. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said. Nebuchadnezzar was a massive, powerful king over the Babylonian Empire, over Chalcedon. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. He had been greatly humbled and acted like a wild animal out in the field. He had been greatly humbled by God, like, crazy, like a crazy man. He had gone insane. And then it says, at the, this is what happened. He says, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion. This is what Pharaoh refused to do. And Nebuchadnezzar found himself declaring about the true God. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing like including myself. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Isn't that beautiful? We have one man that went to his grave In his last words, denying God. And another man comes to the end of his life who spent his whole life denying God. And he says, I am a nobody. God is the... And think about this. For an emperor and someone with that kind of power and glory and a kingdom that still historians marvel at the Babylonian Empire. And then he says, I'm a nobody. And there's a one true God who runs the show and he's the eternal God. It's a beautiful... Beautiful contrast. And so the, the question is, which one are you going to be? Are you going to take and defy God to your death? till you go to your bed, grave? And you're going to defy God to the very end and say, I run my life. Or are you going to fall before God and say, Lord God, I need you to run my life. I want to surrender to you. I'm tired of trying to play God. It's not working out well. And that's the beauty. So don't be pompous, Pharaoh. I also want to encourage you not to be nearsighted, Moses. Moses was a bit nearsighted. He, he only could see what was in front of him. Moses had short-term sight. In other words, he had forgotten God's grand purposes. He knew it in his head because God had said, I am the God of um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who made a covenant. I am the God who predicted 400 years earlier, um, you're going to go in here and 400 years later. Moses could look back and see the prediction the promises the prophecies of God he should have been and God even reminded of them multiple times he should have known that this wasn't going to happen in a minute but when when Moses got on the stage of history and was like his turn to be up you know how a movie has many scenes and Moses thought for a moment that his scene was the only scene and it's like well this isn't happening fast enough or, or quickly enough enough or we're not getting that we're supposed to go in there and we're supposed to jump on the stage and run to the end of the line and like it's done it's finished he had no idea that he was only up there for one minute like a, a scene one little scene was his entire life in ministry was one scene of the great drama of history unfolding and the biblical narrative and he had a scene and sometimes folks we do that same thing we think that our scene is the final scene or we're frustrated because God's not working fast enough. And we get frustrated with God because we have mistakenly thought that this, this movie is playing out and we want the frame to freeze right there while we're on the stage. It's like, God, you need to do everything in, this little, in my little lifetime. I'm expecting you to finish this thing. That's what I'm looking for. And it feels like we're not doing so well in my time, in my spot, in my location. So we get frustrated with the plan of God. But he hasn't wavered one bit. And we need realignment. Sometimes we just need realignment. It's like, no. God does know what he's doing. And we need to tell our people that are freaking out. It's like, it's okay, my friend. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing right here. He knows what he's doing in China. He knows what he's doing in Argentina. He knows what he's doing in Israel. He knows what's going on in the U.S. uh, Well, Russia. He knows what He's doing in Ukraine. He knows what He's doing. He's running it. Remember, He's at work. He's working. He's working. What's that song? Even when I don't believe it, He's working or whatever. That's one of those uh, Christian work songs. Waymaker. Yeah, Waymaker. Thank you. He's the way maker. It's like he's working. He's working. Our God is working. We're coming here every single Sunday to praise him and remember that he's working. Our God is working. He's working. He might not work as fast as you want. And that's because you would totally screw things up. His schedule is way better than yours. And sometimes we're in the middle of it. We don't like the way it's working out. It's like God says, trust me. Look, trust me. And so Moses was having trouble Figuring out that his moment wasn't the end of the story. But that God had everything in line. So lastly, I want you to think about... And, and so don't be nearsighted and align with God's greater purposes. And lastly, I want you to think about um, comprehensive Yahweh. Pompous Pharaoh, don't be like him. Nearsighted Moses, that's like a lot of us sometimes, we... We're expecting more to happen in the moment than God has planned because he's got something better. And then, and then at the end, we, through this, we see comprehensive Yahweh, a comprehensive Jehovah. God is in charge and he's running. It's comprehensive. So let me just finish by giving you a couple of little glimpses. Okay. Um, many of you know every passage that I'm going to refer to, but some of you will not. And I just want you to see the grand narrative. Okay, in Genesis, I, 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 this verse comes up a lot just because it's so good. Genesis 50, 20. In, in Genesis 12, let me start there. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to use you to bless all the nations of the earth. I'm choosing you for my plan. And so that's like got to be in your grid. That needs to be like, this is what God is doing is Genesis 12. You with me? God is doing Genesis 12 today. Okay. And then he bumps over to the end of the Genesis. And before we leave Genesis and the people are just about to get left down there in Egypt for 400 years. And they're thinking, oh, this is terrible. Who would ever think up a plan like that? And God says, "I, I, I did. And he says to his, Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive and as they are today. So God is continuing to work His plan out. Genesis 50-20. There's people meaning stuff for evil every day, all the time. You're like people, you're coming against the church, and you're coming against Jesus. Absolutely. But God's going to turn it for good. God means it for good. He's going to use it. And so God is carrying out Genesis 12. You with me? And Genesis 50 was not only applicable in Joseph's day, but it's applicable right here tonight. You look around and you say all these things. That ain't good. That ain't good. But God is using it for good. Okay, you understand that? It's not, it's not going to um, circumvent God's plan. God's still on, He's on, God is always on track. And then I want you to jump all the way to Galatians 4. And this was the passage I preached on at Christmas time. And talking about the fullness of time in Galatians chapter four, um, almost four thousand years later, from the time Abraham learned about this, to um, the time well, two thousand years later, four thousand years worth about four thousand years later, and in Galatians, um, Paul says that. Jesus came when the fullness of time or in the perfect moment when the clock was right where it was supposed to be in the fullness, like not a second before, not a second late. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so they might receive adoption, like to redeem, to go save. So the redemption of Moses was only anticipatory of the um, redemption. Like that wasn't enough. They didn't need to just be delivered from Egypt and Pharaoh. They needed to be delivered from death. And Satan. And it's like, okay, Moses, we're not, we're not there yet. So everything was still aiming toward the coming of Jesus. And Jesus came at the perfect moment. And he's going to come again in the perfect moment. You believe that? Are you like confident? It's like Jesus look at what Jesus, look at what God's already done, my friend. Look at look at what he's already done. And we're reading about this and going, that's awesome. And Jesus came at just the right time. Don't you dare doubt that he won't come back at just the right time. It's like working. He's working it. He's working. Okay. And then I want you to jump forward past our, our scene on the stage. Well, let me, let me drop you in to our current situation. All right. Here's, this is present. It was present in the days of we're living in what would be called the last, the last times. And that would be from the time of Jesus until the return of Jesus. Like, But we're between those two times. And the the New Testament constantly refers to the last days or like we're in this last stretch, the last period. Like God is working the way he's going to work until Jesus comes. Like we're in this time. And in this time, Peter describes us in the same way that's still true today. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You, you remember why God wanted them to go out in the wilderness? Worship. And you see how we're described here? To worship. God's collecting worshipers into His family, a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation. What for? that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. You know That's our real job on Sundays is to come here and proclaim the excellencies of Him? That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we preach. And let me tell you, I want you to see the party that He has in mind. And it's all through the book of Revelation. There's many party scenes One of them goes like this in chapter 7. After I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. This is like where this is all going, folks. A huge number. Can't even count. Like John couldn't count. Couldn't even dare to begin to count how many people he saw. A great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, all tribes, peoples, languages. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white clothes with palm branches in their hand, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is the eternal plan of God. And that's what we're living in. We're just here. We're, the, we're stages on right now at the present time. But we have all this history and all this, all this work that's gone before us and everything. And I think we're, we're getting toward the end. We're definitely getting closer. I don't know how close. I can't tell you. I just know where this is going. And this is going here. This is going to the end of our Bibles. And at the end of our Bibles, there's a picture of what God has always desired. And that is people falling on their face before God, worshiping, giving Him the glory that He deserves. Lifting up his name and praising him. And so that's where we're going. You want in? Okay, so so, 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 let me just, I just need you to deal with three people. Please deal with Pharaoh. Get him out of your life. Out of my life, out of my heart, away with arrogance. Humble yourself before God. Lord God, you are God, I'm not, I need you. Please come reign in my life. Can you, can you do that? Can you, you need to kick Pharaoh out and invite Jesus in. Jesus, wrong guy's on the throne. Have you ever done this? Have you ever made sure? Wrong guy's on the throne. I need Pharaoh out or me out. You're your little Pharaoh. Out, Jesus in. That's conversion. Conversion. When you say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I recognize that you are the creator of the universe. You made me. I can ignore you to my own peril. I'm tired of walking that tightrope, dangerously walking that tightrope of life, risking my etern- eternity because I keep pushing you away. Later, 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 later. You realize what a dangerous rope, tightrope you're on. Pushing God away. You realize that in one breath, God could take you from your pride finished. Maybe you don't know how much time is on your hour clock, and you're back down to the last grains of sand. Maybe the last grains of sand are coming up sooner than you realize. Are you comfortable being your own little God? Or do you need a real Savior? Then I invite you to Jesus, and come to Jesus and say, like, Pharaoh out, Jesus in. Come into me, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Can you you do that? Do you know that for we're Christians, we had to kick Pharaoh out. You're sitting there going, I don't know about this. Can I tell you how I hate Pharaoh? I hate him when I see him rise up in me too. I hate when I see pride and arrogance. I'm like, oh, that was so prideful, so arrogant. I can't believe I said that, did that, uh, well, how arrogant I was. It's like, oh, God, I, I, need to, I need you. Please don't let me, don't, please help me fight a little Pharaoh keeps trying to come in, keep trying to run my life. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Um, invite Jesus in remember Pharaoh out Jesus in have you done that secondly don't be narrow minded don't get locked into your little, your little life and your little world and our little church and your little bible study and your little plan and your little ministry God is way bigger than that we're just one scene one, one act in the drama jump in the whole place like Lord God this I can't wait I want to do my part and I can't wait to go to heaven and watch the rest of this play out or if it plays out right now, it's like, Lord God, I'm all in. This is the best story I've ever read in my whole life. I want in. I want, to, I want to play my role. I want to get excited because you're, you're directing it. You're leading it. And I want to do my part well. I just want to do my part well. And I want to accept that it might not turn out. I might be like Moses, frustrated. Lord God, you're not moving fast enough. I've been praying for you to save my spouse, save my friend, save this person, do this, change my life, pay my bills, heal me, whatever. It's like, Lord God, help me just to embrace the role that you've given to me. And I'm just going to let you be the great director. And I'm reading your book and I like the way this is going. I like it now that I see it. I step back. Now I'm into it. Now I understand my role. It's like I'm not supposed to get all the goods now. Forgive me for this idea that I'm supposed to have this magnificent life and everything goes great and everything's simple and fun and life is downhill. It ain't. But it's uphill, but it's going towards the glory of God. Okay, I, I, I take it, God. I buy in. And lastly, fits in with the, the comprehensiveness of God. It's like, oh, God. Keep, and that just says keep looking forward, friend. Keep looking forward. Just keep seeing the party at the end okay just keep seeing the party keep seeing where we're going and delight in it and just thank God for it okay alright I don't know all this feels relevant to me let's pray Lord God we thank you for this wonderful book and this wonderful um, narrative of Exodus and the stories and Lord God we confess Pharaoh's never done us any good in our lives we want him out and we want to see that big picture of Jesus and we want, to, we want to live our time, our time period well. And we want to realize it's just, it's just one scene. But we want to live and enter into it and fully embrace playing out our part in our time. Help us to be faithful in our time. And may we just get so excited about what's coming. So excited. And everyone we gather week by week. It's just a little taste, a little foretaste. It's an hors d'oeuvre to heaven. May we regularly look forward to that, longing, longing for the full meal. In Jesus' name, amen.